You're listening to the Optimal State Podcast. Here we go. Hive Mind Detonation in three, two, one. Confronting the lies and bringing the truth to light. The, truth. the mainstream you can't handle the truth. has been put on notice. This is the Optimal State Podcast. All right, greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of the OSP, a.k.a. the Optimal State Podcast. We have a fun one for you today, guys. We're going to be taking a look at the state of the economy, primarily from the perspective of the American consumer and how quickly easy money lost its effectiveness from 2020 until basically now. We'll look at where things may very well be headed in the near future, and uh, we'll also discuss the ideas behind 15-minute cities and piggybacking off of that, Trump's freedom cities. I have no doubt we'll be using that as a nice jumping-off point for some mind-expanding discussion about uh, how we, builders, could build and create resilient communities, optimal communities. See, the opposition, they're engineering a controlled demolition of the only system most of us in the West have been wired into since birth. So this is actually a great opportunity. No better time than now to plan on the epic kingdoms we're going to be building from the ashes. So all of that and more ahead on this episode of the OSP, a.k.a. the Optimal State Podcast. But first... If you haven't already, if you could please take a second, follow us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, or reach out to us. The socials are at Optimal State Pod, all together, no spaces, at Optimal State Pod, or Optimal State Pod at Gmail. My name is Jared, and as always, I have with me my co-captain and co-conspiratorial analysis analyst, the one, the only, Senor Adam. How's it going, dude? Hey, what's up? Uh, hello, uh, radio world, internet world. Uh, hope all is well with everybody. We got a great show for you. Um, it's funny because, Jared, you, you mentioned the word freedom cities. And anytime the government uses the word freedom, you know you're going to get the exact opposite. But it's Trump. It's not, is it the government? I mean, these are, these are Trump freedom cities. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's gonna the government is gonna be, you know, funding all this, and it's gonna be coming from the government. It's Trump's idea, but at the end of the day, well, we're the ones that are gonna be funding it. Well, he's the best salesman for the real outrageous ideas. I mean, Operation Warp Speed. Who was the prime salesman for that? At the end of the day, right? It wasn't Biden. It was uh, our buddy Donnie over there. Yeah, exactly. And as soon as the word freedom is used by any politician or uh, you know government, like oh, we're gonna go, we're gonna spread some freedom, I sprinkle some freedom around here, and sprinkle some freedom around here, and it's usually just means like chaos, disorder, and a lot of money put into um, nonsense. I mean, any bill that's ever been put forward, um, it's kind of like Ron Paul says, you just gotta assume that it actually means the opposite, the Patriot Act. No child left behind. I mean, it's just anytime the government, you know, uses these terms of like patriotism and freedom. I mean, it's just they're just known for doing the exact opposite. 
Right, it's word sorcery. And it's it's getting people distracted. And it's it's really showing them the complete opposite, the duality, presenting the duality and having people distracted by that complete opposite and then doing what they are trying to distract you from. Right? I mean, it's like the bait and switch, really. Yeah, I, I guess uh, if you have faith in the system and the uh, and politicians and government, it, it might work. But anybody that, you know, can kind of just look at the the whole grand scheme of things. I mean, how can you really believe them? I mean, they're just a bunch of liars and they're trying to sell you something. Just like you said, Trump's the best seller. And uh, the, <clears throat> the sad part is his uh, followers and not that I'm a Joe Biden supporter, but I'm not a Trump supporter. And, uh, you know, his followers would follow him to fucking hell and they'll, you know, they'll push, uh, they'll push forward with whatever he has to say. And it's sad really um, to see these people just so enamored with this billionaire billionaire. And you think that he cares about you. I mean, it's just, I just, because he can kind of, you know, talk and he's funny and, you know, he's charismatic and direct. I think uh, most people appreciated the directness and that he wasn't part of the, the, the swamp. He wasn't part of the political machine. He was the outsider. He, and he was calling it for what it was, you know, I, I mean, in the beginning, he really was saying some pretty based stuff. Uh, It was, he, he was calling out the deep state and, you know, basically saying that there were these like unelected officials that were embedded into very powerful positions, basically for life. You know, not it, it was one of the first people vying for a very powerful spot, such as like the presidency, who was calling out by name in, in pretty direct terms, at, at least since, you know, Eisenhower Kennedy's time. Right. I mean, no one everybody else has played nice since really i guess i don't know, almost like since the yeah really since kennedy right exactly they they set the standards since then i would even say no since nixon i mean nixon was also like he was thrown out of there basically too i mean if you think about watergate like watergate is like such a sham if you think about what that really ultimately was i mean i actually heard that that wasn't even what what it was i i I think we should, in a future episode, we should jump into that. I think there's actually a lot to uncover there. But Bob Woodward, I mean, he's... It's, it's, it's great. What's that? Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that um, not a lot of people know the details of that one. And it's very, uh, very not known, you know? Yeah, totally. But the whole thing is, I, I guess my whole big like boomerang of the point was to to go back to what you were saying. If if people keep expecting humans who are running the show to provide answers, when humans keep shifting their basis of morality around to to suit their needs, which is going to happen, humans are fallible. That's just how it is. It's not even calling out one political side or the other. It's just it is just how it goes, and. Uh, if we are beholden to these people to define our morality, then suddenly we get into this ugly loop where they're serving themselves. They're projecting that outward. We assume that sort of morality. We project that outward. 
they they see that we accept that and it just becomes this ugly ugly cycle if we break out of that we stop looking to these people for answers if we stop looking to these people as a, like the be all end all authoritative figures uh it requires looking outside of them it requires looking to a higher power or it requires looking to god uh that's the only way you would get out of that cycle and be able to really start taking moves to build resilient, strong communities. Uh, but the whole 15 minute town freedom city, smart city idea that really just, it, it furthers their control. It furthers their, uh, well, it furthers your, what they hope is your ultimate reliance on them. And that's uh, that, that is the, that is ultimately where they want to go with they're trying to maneuver this whole controlled collapse of the old system and usher in this new system where you have these centralized smart cities and they are in full control overall. All right. We are going to go to a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to jump into some economy statistics and uh, I think continue the discussion about community. So we'll see you on the other side.
Head Studio from Woodstock. Uh, good times, good times. Uh, me and Jared wrote that. I don't know at some point, probably in like 2017. That uh, comes from the album "The Breath of Empty Space." And uh, yeah, uh, it was a good time. Uh, we were uh, definitely, you know, uh, playing some good music back then, right, Jared? Yeah, I definitely say so. That was a that was a fun one to put together, the wandering. And we actually so Katari for we we explained our old band a little bit in one of our older episodes for but for anybody who doesn't know, Katari was uh, a band that Adam and I were in a few years ago. And uh yeah, that song comes from the album The Breath of Empty Space, as Adam was saying. You can find it on Spotify along with this podcast. And uh that leads the album off and Super awesome time at Applehead, man. I, really great bands recorded there. Uh, I was based out of up in um, like the Hudson Valley base of the Catskills area in, in upstate New York. And bands like Coheed and Cambria have recorded there, uh, if you're into them. And uh, Medeski Martin Wood, which are really great, like jazz, funk, like acoustic trio. And uh, few other groups um marco benevento i think he's he's done a bunch of stuff there john schofield so yeah anyway so uh thanks for listening to that one guys i think we're gonna move back into the discussion about some uh economy stuff but we're also the the 15 minute cities uh what were you thinking adam you want to where do you want to try to take this conversation well i think we go into uh the economy and, and kind of like lead that into the uh, 50 minute cities because it is ultimately going to be connected um, due to uh, the economic situation in America and really in the world. Uh, we're really at an unprecedented time in uh, world history when it comes to financing finances and uh, the economy. Uh, it's, it, I hate to be doom and gloom. It's not looking good. Um, and I think that anytime you turn on the news, they're kind of doing gloom as well. Um, uh, but Jared and I were talking about it before about how, you know, the easy money made it for everybody to, you know, live easy off credit. And uh, now that interest rates are going up, uh, you know, obviously the cost of owning a home is going to be more of your mortgaging. Uh, obviously, if you keep money in the bank, you know, they are giving you, I think, like 3%, 3.5%. Um, but, I think there's a plan there. And we talked about bail-ins 
I believe, on a prior podcast. And uh, I believe, and this is just my personal opinion, uh, I believe that they're sucking everybody's money into the bank. Say, hey, look, you know, you get a nice 3% interest rate. But when everything crashes and the banks need to bail in, everybody's money's stuck in the bank. And they'll give you that little 3% interest. Like, here you go. Here, keep all your money here. But at the end of the day, when shit hits the fan, the bail-ins come. They're taking your money out of your account. They're not, the government's not going to be handing that out. And uh, I, I think that that's the ultimate plan. Or at least to as a backup plan if the, the economy crashes and they have a way of just like sucking and siphoning money out of people's accounts. Um, because this whole thing cannot keep going the way it's going it's just unsustainable and everybody knows it and it's like almost like we're on the titanic waiting to hit the iceberg and everybody's just chilling well everyone's you know in the fucking upper deck of the titanic drinking and having a good time not knowing like when this iceberg is gonna hit but it's good it's eventual and uh I hope it doesn't happen. I'd love to say that, you know, we're on a straight course to prosperity and great wealth. But even saying that, do you really believe it? Do you really believe in the situation that we're in right now that we are going to this great life for the next generation and they're going to have all this wealth and it's just going to lead to mass prosperity? No. It's just, I mean, unless something drastic changes and people take their lives back and uh, they start to really get knowledgeable about, you know, the financial system and um, what is going on. Uh, I, I just think it's kind of doom and gloom. And, you, and people need to prepare themselves for this. And however you want to do it, I don't know if you want to own gold, if you want to own a bunker, I don't know what your plan is. But I, I don't think that the next five, ten years, things are going to be – I don't know if the dollar is going to crash by then, but they have some sort of plan. And, uh, you know, it's what we don't know is the problem. What they tell you is what they tell you and that what they allow you to know. But what we don't know is the scary part. Yeah, let me ask you real quick. Cause there's a lot in there I wanted to touch on. But buy-in. What, what is a buy-in? You, you mentioned that. Or a, a bail-in. Oh, or a bail-in. A bail-in bail bail is when uh, the government, like Cyprus did that. The government collapses or like the financial system collapses. And they take money at people's accounts to fund uh, the banks or whoever is going under. And if the bank's going under, they're just going to take your money and use it to prop themselves up. And they'll say they'll give it to you at a later date, but it maybe in small increments and over a course of 20 years. I mean, I'm not sure if that's the stipulation, but I know you can look up in Cyprus that happened. Um, well, let so me ask you this. Let me ask you this, though, because with the difference between, I would think, between Cyprus and the U.S. economy is that the Federal Reserve could print however many dollars it wants to print. Cyprus is uh, their currency, I would imagine, as most currencies are, would be pegged to the U.S. dollar. So they can't just print Cypriot dollars or whatever it is they use for their currency. And, uh, you know, that that would be the large difference there is that we could just make more money, you know, so we don't need a bail-in in terms of like, they don't need to take people's money and they would just print more, which is what they do. I mean, once you put your money in the bank anyway, I mean, it's, it's nothing. It's really just uh, it's a ledger, right? It's a digital ledger that just keeps track of however much you've deposited in there. 
Um, it doesn't keep up with the interest rates or anything. It's just a static number based on whatever you put in there. So, but um, man, yeah, there was so much you you touched on in in what you were saying, and uh, I think you know there were some numbers I, I could throw out there right now that are uh, th- this is debt owned by consumers right now. In uh, well, it was the second quarter of 2022 is when I'm getting this info. So fairly recently, about um, six months ago or so. But mortgages, we have 11.39 trillion dollars in mortgages right now. That's that's outstanding mortgage debt in the United States. Uh, student loans at 1.6, just about trillion, 1.6 trillion in student loan debt in the United States. <clears throat> Uh, auto loans are up there as well, 1.5 trillion. Credit cards are 0.9, so just about a trillion dollars in credit card debt. So uh, yeah, overall, we're looking at about 16.15 trillion dollars in household debt at the at the end of the second quarter, 2022. So. Uh, that's where we're at as well as at a time it, uh, interest rates increasing at a very, uh, unfortunate time, um, when other cost of living things are increasing as well. Uh, this article from the zero hedge is, uh, first time home buyers are absolutely screwed right now. Despite a recent softening in the U.S. housing market, a combination of rising borrowing costs and still high prices have put prospective first-time home buyers in a serious bind. For the first time since records began, first-time home buyers made up the smallest share of sales last year at 26%. And as we noted on Thursday, a surge in mortgage rates above 7% have sent home buyer applications to a 28-year low across all age groups. Now, as the spring home buying season approaches, tight inventory and uncomfortably high interest rates mean that the American dream can only be achieved by those with high-paying jobs, lots of money, or rich parents. Bloomberg reports, the average rate for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage climbed for a fourth straight week, reaching 6.65% Freddie Mac data released Thursday's show. The difficulties for first-time buyers have been escalating for years. During the pandemic boom, which was that easy money you were just, you were talking about, Adam, they were frequently squeezed out as they competed against people with cash and investors who frequently target starter homes. The typical household income for first-time buyers soared to as much as $90,000 in 2022 from about $70,000 in 2019. So we have a, a a crisis here with first-time home buyers being absolutely screwed in uh, terms of being priced out of uh, the housing market, and, and you know this is due to a variety of factors. But you know there was a a run on a limited supply of homes, and this was largely due to having. Uh, venture capital, BlackRock, uh, investment firms, being able to buy these homes and put them on their books as the same way they were doing with like stocks from companies. And they were taking these homes and apartments out of the market and creating a renter class and subsequently as well, increasing the uh, cost of these homes. And this along with 
you have all these very active communities that don't want any sort of, um, you know, they don't want any apartments or, or, or things built in their backyard, the NIMBY types, uh, who are pushing a lot of people out. So you have a very, you know, and zoning essentially is the issue with that. So you have, uh, you know, what they propose ultimately being these smart cities and, uh, that being what they would want to um, bring in as the solution here, which again is like they're presenting some dystopian solution to what is a problem of their own making. Yeah, I think people need to realize that all these assets have literally been propped up by the Federal Reserve printing money. And the interesting part about that whole thing is in 2017, the Federal Reserve started reducing its balance sheet, so it stopped printing money. Two years later, in 2019, in September, the repo market interest rate jumped to like 10% overnight, uh, the overnight markets. So the overnight repo markets are when banks um, lend uh, like so, it, it could it could work in reverse repo fashion or repo. So, you can uh, a bank will lend out money or lend out um, treasuries as collateral, and hedge funds will um, use that money as uh, um, so they lend out money and the, and the hedge funds will use treasuries as collateral for um, overnight trading and to make money, you know? So they'll like they'll, they'll borrow a bunch of money and say, here are these treasuries and, and the bank will lend them this money. But the interest rate popped up by to 10% overnight. So that means that there was a liquidity crisis. There was no money left. The banks didn't want to lend this money out because they didn't have enough money to give out. So what they ended up doing was they had to keep the money that they had because the, the federal government says that the banks have to have a certain amount of money you know, on the books, they can't just lend out, you know, everything they got. So they weren't lending out money. So the money became scarce. The interest rate went up by 10%. All of a sudden, it became very expensive to, uh, to borrow this money for the overnight markets. So what did the Federal Reserve do? Federal Reserve came in and liquefied those markets because it would create created havoc in those markets, in all markets, if it, they didn't do that. So what ends up happening Maybe so. So that happened in September. A few months later, in March, COVID, and then you know the money printing begins. I and this is another my opinion is I think that that was a sign that you know the the economy was not in good shape unless they liquefied the markets, and that kind of led to them printing all that money because there was probably no money left. They stopped printing right. money, and then the economy would have just ran dry. So that that overnight market repo market interest rate going to 10% and the money became scarce was like the first sign that there wasn't enough liquidity in all these markets. So then you have COVID and then the money printing and it's like, they, there's, they, no they, there's no coincidences. You know what I mean? Totally. It's like they took a big hypodermic needle of adrenochrome and just jabbed it into their chest. And that that's how they stimulated the economy in, in a symbolic fashion, you know, and they're like, Oh, we just need a, a little more life out of this one. If we could just get it, get just a little more milk, milk this one, uh, milk this one a little bit more. And that's, I mean, I look at it like a complete controlled collapse. I think 
Are we are we in pretty much agreement on that? That that's pretty much what we're looking at here is a controlled collapse of the the Western system that we've basically we've been programmed into, and our parents and our grandparents have been programmed into basically the hegemonic order. To borrow a word from the the social justice Marxist movements, the the Frankfurt School, uh, where we're basically uh, the hegemonic order is being overturned where we're going into a another turning of the world order, so to speak. So, Adam, would you agree? With, is that where we're kind of at right now? We're witnessing a controlled collapse. Is, would you agree? Yeah, hyperinflate the dollar and then move it to um, digital. And that's kind of, that's totally. Kind of, and I, I, force, I see game. very soon, well, I see how everything is moving to digital. It already has everything is moved to digital. There's a big push uh that i'm sure has some you know whether it's um whatever sort of governmental agency is is pulling some strings but i have no doubt that some of them are in the crypto world and are pushing a lot of these who would otherwise be countercultural types are pushing these people to advocate for crypto basically making them into walking billboards for the movement but i think that what will ultimately happen is there's going to be a big wipe. There's going to be a big wipe of some data farm, some some server farm is going to be targeted by some sort of, you know, some bug, some some worm is just going to cut through and compromise all of this data. And, and what they're doing right now is they're putting all data in centralized locations. So you create a sort of vulnerability by doing that. Once you... Have, it's like if you put all of your valuables in one central location, well, that location goes up in flames. That's unfortunate. That's that's where then you lose it all. So they're creating a sort of vulnerability in that regard. And I think what they might do is with the digital dollar, with cryptocurrency, with all this other data that is literally just stored in ledgers, it's all just going to, or, or some of it, even 20 to 30% of it could be wiped. And that could create all sorts of pandemonium in the world and give them reason to institute martial law, uh, do kind of what you were alluding to, where they, they take over control of people's bank accounts, issue like a new currency to take over for the others. So I think it's just a matter of time. And what we'll, what we may see is either some sort of EMP or some sort of uh some event that they claim is like some sort of like geoterrorism event and they, they they'll use that as a reason to to move things ahead but we'll be most people unfortunately will be without power or it, it'll be an unfortunate situation because there'll be some sort of civilizational collapse that we're seeing with the infrastructure that's my prediction anyway and that's how i think they'll really get us with our pants down is they have us really complacent right now <clears throat> they have us really chilled out you know numb prozac out watching netflix eating ice cream uh sounds nice but when that's all gone all of the pill addicted people are suddenly out in the streets just you know and they say it's what three days nine meals until total anarchy so yeah uh i hope that people understand that because a lot of people don't most people don't i think most of our neighbors don't but the people who do the communities that do will definitely come out the other side in the best possible way 
And uh, that's that's really ultimately the message I, I hope to be pushing forward for people, you know. So anyway, Adam, I think we're going to probably cut this one now. Uh, was that cool? Anything you wanted to any, – any last words for the people? Well, I, I just want to remind everybody out there that's listening that what we talk about uh, might seem conspiratorial, but we're just trying to get ahead of them. So we're trying to bring this information to light of what could happen. We're not, you know, Jared and I, when we discuss these things, we are not saying this is what's going to happen. We know this. We're just trying to, you know, it's a chess match, and we're just trying to figure out what their next move is. And the way we do that is by we communicate this to, uh, uh, you know, me, Jared, and to the outside world for you guys to listen and be like, oh, well, you know, this could happen. It might not, but it could. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, that's, that's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. But it's only a conspiracy until it happens. And we saw that with COVID. So um, that, that's all I really got for tonight. I uh, hope everybody really enjoyed listening. And uh, I look forward to uh, the next one. All right, man. Good talking to you. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care.